0: It is a privilege to be with you guys today. Um, you know, as I mentioned, my family is here, so my wife Trish and my son Ethan and daughter Emma are with us today, and I'm thrilled to have them with us. It's, like I said, a privilege to be with you, and, and I'm, I'm glad to jump in. We are all learning, so I'm not coming from this as one who has arrived by any means, but we're going to learn from God's word together. Wisdom guides all family relationships as we honor God and honor one another. Now, wisdom begins with the posture and the mindset of the fear of the Lord. So what is the fear of the Lord? For starters, it's the acknowledgement that God is all-knowing, that he is all-good, that he is the creator, sustainer, and redeemer of all that he has made, and that his ways are best. So today, as we explore the wisdom from Proverbs on marriage and family relationships, we must also acknowledge some of the most important points First off is that God created the institution of marriage and that also God created family and all of the relationships within it. Let's start by looking at wisdom in the, family relation, in the, in the marriage relationship. And this does apply also to those looking forward to marriage to gain that perspective um, of marriage from God's word. Pro- Proverbs 3 verse 3 says, let love and faithfulness never leave you Bind them around your neck, write them on the tablet of your heart. The ESV translation adds steadfast love and faithfulness, emphasizing that this is a call to be true or to stay true to your commitments. In fact, this exact phrase, steadfast love and faithfulness, is declared by the Lord Himself, describing His character and commitment to the covenant that was being restated and renewed. To Moses on behalf of the children of Israel in Exodus 34 verse 6 as we just read. Note that this was only two short chapters after Israel had been unfaithful turning away from God and worshiping the golden calf. So don't miss this. But God demonstrated his unwavering commitment to his uh, covenant with Israel regardless of whether they faltered. This is not a contract it's an, there's no uh, if and then clauses. It's not a 50-50 commitment. Friends, this is a covenant. 100% commitment no matter what. Here in Proverbs, we're being called to view marriage with that same lens. So the first point here is that marriage is not a contract, but rather a covenant relationship. You know, we live in a world that is afraid of commitment, perhaps out of self-protection or previous hurts or poor examples that we've observed over time. Whatever the reason, there is a reluctance to commit. Now, God created marriage, and it's a very good thing. Uh, Proverbs 18, 22 says, He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. You know, all the way back to Genesis 1, 27 to 28, we read, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Then in chapter 2, he communicates a sense of leaving and cleaving or holding fast, leading to that oneness of marriage. When he states in verse 24, therefore, a man shall leave his mother and fa- father and mother and hold fast to his wife. And they shall become one flesh. Jesus himself then affirms this original and unchanging definition of marriage, as he quotes this verse in Matthew 19 verse5. Further, God views the marriage covenant so highly that repeatedly through the scriptures, he uses it to refer to his own relationship with the church, his bride. Ephesians 5:22 to25 refers to these God-honoring relationships between a husband and a wife and parallels it with the relationship of Christ and the church. In this covenant relationship, the wife is called to trust and respect her husband, whereas the husband is called to love sacrificially, to lead courageously, and to build her up, supporting the wife as she flourishes and shines. It actually says, present her in splendor. So understand that marriage is a covenant relationship, an all-in commitment, and that it is worth pursuing, preserving, and when damaged, it's worth repairing and even sacrificing for with the goal of oneness in Christ. And out of that, Proverbs continues to provide practical wisdom as to how husbands and wives can pursue God-honoring relationships towards that goal. First off, there are a number of Proverbs that speak against quarrelsomeness. Proverbs 19.13, 21.9, 21.19, and 25.24 are just a few that mention this. For example, Proverbs 19.13 describes the effect of a quarrelsome spouse as a, a continual dripping of rain. Now, it identifies it in the text as the wife, but this could certainly apply to either spouse. Now, a commentary that I looked at pointed out that the context of this is that of a leaking roof. So this is not just a minor irritation. Rather, this is a sign of a structural damage that, if not corrected, will lead to worse consequences. These passages warn us of how difficult and damaging it can be to a relationship, to have continual quarreling. This applies to both spouses, and what it exposes is a need for intentionally living in peace or in an understanding manner with one another, as is pointed out in 1 Peter 3, verse 7. Generally, it takes two to create an environment of quarreling. And so a wise spouse ought to reflect on what aspects of their own behavior is contributing to the other being quarrelsome. For example, perhaps there's a habit that you do that annoys the other spouse, such as, leaving clothes on the floor or repeatedly forgetting to wash the dishes, tracking mud through the house, maybe going on unbudgeted shopping sprees. Whatever the case is, I think we could all fill in the blank in some manner. But recognizing those things and making concerted efforts to correct them can speak volumes to the so-called quarreling spouse about their value and can make real strides towards peaceful relationships. Of course, the one who is a, quarreling, a quarrelsome spouse ought to examine the damaging effects of their behavior and how they can move forward in grace and understanding towards unity in the, in the relationship. Secondly, Proverbs teaches us that an excellent, prudent spouse is an invaluable gift from the Lord. Proverbs 12 verse 4 says, A wife of noble character is her husband's crown, but a disgraceful wife is like decay to his bones. Proverbs 19, verse 14 says, Houses and wealth are inherited from parents, but a prudent wife is from the Lord. And then Proverbs 31, 10 to 11, once again says, A wife of noble character, who can find? She is worth far more than rubies. Her husband has full confidence in her and lacks nothing of value. She brings him good and not harm all the days of her life. So husbands... Let your wife know regularly how valued and loved she is, and look to show it by loving her sacrificially in a way that breathes life and vibrance into her. And, and wives, likewise, build up and encourage your husbands by trusting and respecting them, by loving him and uh, living in unity as much as, as possible. Lastly, Proverbs speaks strongly about pursuing Purity and faithfulness. Now this also applies to those who are single to keep themselves for that future spouse, as well as to us who are married to remain faithful for life. Proverbs 4.23 says, Keep or guard your heart with all vigilance, for from it uh, flow the springs of life. Proverbs 5.15-18 uses a lot of water analogies. Drink from your own cistern. Running water from your own well. Should your springs overflow in the streets, your streams of water in the public square, let them be yours alone, never to be shared with strangers. May your fountain be blessed and may you rejoice with the wife of your youth. This picture of water represents the nourishment and satisfaction, both emotionally and physically, that is to come only from your spouse. The next verse even speaks of being intoxicated always in her love. So perhaps the spark needs to be reignited in your relationship. But let's purpose to make our spouses the object of our affection and of our study. For example, this week, how can you express your affection and appreciation for your spouse in a fresh way? How can you communicate that they are an invaluable gift from the Lord? Furthermore, what is something new that you can learn about your spouse? So what Proverbs and the rest of Scripture are telling us about marriage is that, one, marriage is a covenant relationship created by God. Secondly, that through wisdom, love, and respect, we are to pursue a God-honoring marriage relationship. And thirdly, only in the boundaries of marriage are we free to rightfully express and receive intimate love. Of course, there is much more that we could learn from Scripture regarding marriage. But we're going to turn the page, so to speak, at this point and and look at Proverbs and what it instructs and warns us about relationships between parents and children. As a reminder, Proverbs is primarily written from the perspective of a father lovingly instructing and warning his son. However, the principles are generally more broadly applicable to the various family relationships. Also note that Proverbs is packed with principles that, when applied, tend to have certain results or consequences, as the case may be. But what Proverbs is not is a cookbook. Proverbs is not a formula. It's not even promises that guarantee a certain outcome. Just as marriage is challenging and requires reliance on God and on his principles in order to navigate it well, Parenting requires the same. I am sharing with you today as a fellow parent who is in the trenches, knee-deep in the challenges and struggles of parenting, but also full of hope and determination to continue to invest and instruct and by God's grace to live out my faith with the hope that my children will develop godly character, learn to be wise and live out their faith Um, as they choose to follow Christ. However, there are no guarantees. Wisdom for parents starts with instruction and training. Proverbs 22, verse 6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. That's the ESV version. This doesn't mean to predetermine your child's future profession or to plan out the next 20 years of their life the way that you see fit. The essence of this training in the way they should go, is referring to God's way. So parents, point them to a relationship with Jesus. Instill godly morals and character. Encourage spiritual disciplines. Provide regular opportunities for serving others, whether in the home or beyond. And live out your faith authentically and in humility in front of them. You know, when I was a teenager, I distinctly recall a moment at an annual missions conference at our church. The keynote speaker that year put forth a call, a challenge to the parents to get up out of their seats and to walk to the front of the church if they were ready and willing to give over or, in a sense, dedicate their children to the Lord, whatever and wherever that may lead. The next moment impacted me deeply as I watched, without hesitation, my parents, among others, walking forward, publicly declaring, Lord, our children are yours. Help us train them up in the way you intend them to go, and we will release them to your service. Parents, don't underestimate the impact that living out authentic faith can have on your children, and pray consistently for their faith, that it would not only take root, but that it would flourish. Next, Proverbs talks about loving discipline. Proverbs 13, verse 24 says, whoever spares the rod hates their children, but whoever, um, but the one who loves their children is careful or diligent to discipline them. Proverbs 22:15 15 says, folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline will drive it far away. Proverbs 29, 17 outlines some of the possible benefits Of consistent discipline that the diligent parent may eventually enjoy, and states, Discipline your children, and they will give you peace or rest, and they will bring you the delights you desire. Proverbs mentions the rod of discipline a number of times, and although it's beyond the scope of this message to delve deeply into this topic, I do believe that we can learn about God's heart and set guiding principles around discipline. Hebrews 12, 5-6 states, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as a son. The writer of Hebrews goes on to reveal the intent and the purpose of godly discipline in verse 10-11, to stating, They, the parents, disciplined us for a little while as they thought best. But God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. From these passages, we can see God's heart that discipline is necessary and is intended to bring about repentance and godly character. Discipline must be delivered in love, not in anger. This communicates that one is loved, safe, and cared for. One helpful resource that we've used in our family is called Discipline That Connects, which uses a balanced approach for the parent to communicate four messages to the child. As we correct them, we must communicate, you are responsible for your actions. Through coaching, um, we can help them realize that you are called and capable. And in these moments, it's crucial to connect with them, communicating you are loved no matter what. All of this with the foundation that you are safe with me. Trust me, it's not a formula, and it doesn't always go great. But this and other resources can help us to see and to treat our children as God would. In these last moments, let's look at the wisdom for children and how their responses impact the family. Proverbs 1 verse 8 says, Listen, my son, to your father's instructions and do not forsake your mother's teaching. Proverbs 3 verse 1 says, My son, do not forget my teaching, but keep or obey my commandments in your heart. So the goal here is heartfelt obedience, not just outward compliance. Many other Proverbs speak of the urgency and the value of getting wisdom and insight. Proverbs 2, 1-5, to 5, Proverbs 4, verse, verse 5, and, and more. However, there are warnings. Warnings against foolishness and folly. As we see in Proverbs 10, verse 1, it states, A wise son brings joy to his father, but a foolish son brings grief to his mother. Also, in a contrasting proverb, there is a warning against um, rejecting correction. Proverbs 13.1 says, A wise son heeds his father's instructions, but a mocker does not respond to rebukes. Lastly, there are warnings against keeping bad company. In Proverbs 1, uh, starting in verse 10, it reads, My son, if sinful men entice you, do not give in to them. So I present this slide to you um, only for the purposes of illustration and a picture that might help us to communicate and summarize what Proverbs teaches about the way in which patterns of behavior tend to lead to certain results. Please know that this is not a formula, and it's not a guaranteed cause-effect relationship, but rather principles of wisdom from God to guide us. So as parents, the hope is that as we lovingly discipline and diligently instruct our children, that this would hopefully produce lasting character, a sense of being loved and, and having security. Children have a choice as to heeding that warning. And as they do so more, they gain wisdom and their actions lead to honoring parents, listening, obeying, even seeking more wisdom. And over time, this can lead parents to experience joy, delight, um, rest, and even legacy as these principles are passed on to the next generation. But no, there are choices that can be made, and repeated and patterns of um, foolish choices can lead the, the other direction, to shame and disgrace. And so parents and children, we all make foolish choices at times, but my prayer is that we would be drawn to the way of wisdom in the fear of the Lord in order that we would honor God and honor one another. May God's word bring alignment of our thinking and actions to better reflect his heart for relationships and commitment in marriage and in family.
1: As I listened to you this morning, I was reminded of kind of that dynamic nature of the relationships that we're in. As I look around the room, I recognize that we've all found ourselves in different stages of life, yes? Um, we're all walking through different seasons. We all are facing uh, different challenges and we're celebrating different milestones. That's kind of the beauty of, of being a part of a church family is that I can stand where I am and look up to the eyes of someone who has walked through those moments and also look behind me and see others that I can help along the way. And so in the midst of that dynamic nature of our relationships, I just want to take a moment to be reminded that this wisdom that we find in Proverbs, these truths that we find in God's word, um, are guidance for all of our relationships as we honor God and as we honor one another. You know, Specifically, I think of the statement that, that Dwight made. He, uh, he stated that our authentic faith will have an impact on our children, but I would venture to say that our authentic faith will have an impact on many others as well. So as we uh, sit here at the end of our message, I want to invite you to take some moments to think upon the things that have been shared. Think about the things that we've talked about today and apply to your heart what God is calling you to do. What has the Holy Spirit been prompting in you this morning? And consider this question. How can we better honor God and honor others? How can we better honor God and honor one another in our relationships? How can we better honor God and honor one another in our relationships? We're just going to take a prayerful moment to reflect on this question. And my goal is that as we wrap up our service today... We won't have a list, a list of things that we want to do, but we will know clearly what God is calling us to do and calling us to apply in our homes and in our lives. So let's just kind of take a moment of of guided prayer as we reflect on this statement. God, we come to you and we ask, Lord, how can we honor you? How can we honor you through our relationships with one another, Lord? In prayer, we think of the challenges that Dwight presented to husbands and wives to avoid quarrels, to pursue purity, to be faithful, to express affection and appreciation. How does God intend to use those in your life? As parents, we were challenged to live authentic faith and pray for the faith of our children and to pursue instruction and discipline in our home. How is God calling you to apply this wisdom in your homes? And as children, we were challenged today to respect and to listen, to obey our parents, and to express appreciation and gratefulness to them. How is God calling you to put these truths into action in your hearts and in your home? And so, Lord, we come to you today, God, and we thank you for your wisdom, your word that guides us and that leads us, that is true in our homes and our families, Lord. It's true everywhere we go. And so, Lord, we take this wisdom today, and we endeavor, Lord, to use it, um, to place it into action, and to take the next steps that our children, that our parents, that our neighbors, our friends— might see you, know you, and come to love you through our obedience to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.